but back back to the podcast itself um yeah we really do need to get to that you've read or heard or preached the scripture this week now what Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. So, Carissa, what are you reading right now? I am like a classic Enneagram 7, reading about four or five different things right now, and that's actually a short list. Um, But one that I am currently really into is called Daughter, and it's by Katrin um, Thorsdotter, who is an Icelandic CrossFit athlete, and it is okay. the story of her journey into stardom. Hmm. Well, How about you? Don't call, me, don't call me Daughter by Pearl Jam. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's a great look. Uh, right now, like... Well, not in Enneagram 7, but like a pastor, I am reading a mixture of uh, light fiction and stuff uh, about management and commentaries on the Ten Commandments. I also am reading commentaries on the Ten Commandments. I figured that went without saying, though. Mm. Apparently, it did not go without saying. No, it did not go without saying. I'm probably going to... try to read something by Rachel Held Evans real soon. Mm, um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that that might work for an adult Bible study to, to read through her stuff. It might be more accessible. So that's, that's what's on my mind, but I, I, um, you know, I'm just reading light stuff mostly outside of work right now. Sometimes you just have to take a break from, all of this studious stuff and read something yeah. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I, I did hear an interview uh, recently about a book called Gods of the Upper Air, and it was about anthropology and how um, in the early, mid-20th century, it started to get a lot more scientific and a lot less um, full of stereotypes full of junk science that sort of thing so it looks really interesting but i'm not quite ready for another challenging read outside of work that's fair i am probably going to be starting a doctorate of ministry program in january so i am stockpiling the trivial reading now and i will get around (laughs) to the actual reading when i start back in Mm -hmm. school again Mm-hmm. What's your, what was your sermon title yesterday? Don't be so quick to judge. How about yours? Mm, the Big Three. The Big Three. And that's actually the title of our podcast this week, our episode. It is. It is. I thought that I would just uh, go with the obvious this week. That works for me. That works for me. And I used the supporting text from Matthew 5, 21 through 30. Okay. And that is where Jesus talks about these couple of commandments that we'll be talking about and the ones to follow where he says that if you even so much as have hate or anger against another person, you might as well have just committed murder because you missed the point. So don't go over to the dark side of the force. Correct. (laughs) My supporting text is Hebrews 13, 1 through 8, followed by 15 and 16. It's the It's one of the lectionary readings for Sunday. Um, 
and it just seemed to dovetail rather nicely with the uh, the big three commandments. Yeah, it really does. I think that's another solid choice for a supporting text for this one. And a great reminder that the lectionary still exists, even though we have wandered off into the weeds for our summer, summer series. And we'll be returning to the lectionary in a couple of weeks and jumping in with the lectionary's thread through um, 2 Timothy. Yes. So, uh, would you care to uh, remind our dear listeners what, uh, what the text of the commandments is today? I would be delighted. Our text today is Deuteronomy 5, verses 6, and then jumping to verses 17 through 19. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. This really is a continuation of the previous commandment about obey, about honoring your father and mother. And this really ties into the points that we were making about inheritance and honor culture from last week. I think we have kind of lost just how destructive to the community these things would have been then we have a different sort of valuation when it comes to theft we we differentiate the seriousness of the crime based on the value of the goods that are stolen or the amount of money that is embezzled or swindled or what have you where the cultural context was just radically different in the time of the Israelites and even in New Testament times. So remember from last week, the single most important thing for uh, the single most important level of society was the Beit Av or the house of the father. And the most important thing that a family could do was assure the peaceful transfer of property from one generation to the next. But that doesn't always work well. This is why, among other things, we have a commandment against adultery. We think of adultery just in the sense of a physical and emotional betrayal between a husband and a wife. But in the biblical sense, in the sense of the Ten Commandments, it also could result in producing another heir, a rival claim on the property of the father of the house. And it could be the case that if the father has a son out of wedlock with another woman, not his wife, and that son is older than any sons that the father produces with his wife, that older yet illegitimate son might attempt to make a claim on his father's property. Now, he might have some half-brothers who ought to inherit, but boy, now he's got a really good motivation to kill his half-brothers. 
The additional problem is that this is an honor culture. So things that, uh, debts of honor have to be repaid in kind. So if I murder a member of your family, then someone in your family would have to avenge that murder and either murder me or someone else in my family. And it kicks off a cycle of retribution that doesn't end. Now, we might say that theft is not as bad as murder, but it still has the potential to kick off the cycle of retribution. And it could be that if I steal something from you once, you decide you need to protect your property a little bit better, and I try again, and you kill me as I'm trying to steal from you. Now, the law would not have held you guilty of murder for that, but maybe someone in my family feels that you went too far in taking my life, and he is going to seek revenge against your family. And theft quickly escalates into murder. So all of these things can destroy the fabric of a community by creating a cycle of violence and by interfering with the orderly transfer of property from father to son. Right. And we still have pockets of honor culture in the world today. Myself not being a sociologist or an anthropologist, I'm not going to go into assessing or declaring where those are or anything like that. But as um, a middle class white woman who lives in the United States, I'll say that for the most part, that is a foreign concept to us on, on that kind of scale. Yeah, with, without a doubt. It's tough for us to relate to that, but you don't have to be, you don't have to look too far to see stories of culture clash with immigrants from other cultures in the United States still carrying on some of these practices or just, you know, read the news about the rest of the world. Right. And if we look at this in the light of building upon the other commandments that we've been going through and building upon this preamble that leads into them, we see, again, that this is more about the community and the well-being of the community than necessarily individual behavior. So this isn't necessarily God making a list of things and saying, well, you get to do these ones and you don't get to do these ones. But rather, if you want to have a healthy community, this is how you need to function. And it also takes us back to Nadia Boltz Weber, who says, God loves you so much that God gives me rules preventing me from doing these things to you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned uh, levels of theft and how we evaluate theft based on how much was stolen, like the value of the amount of money or, or the value of the item that was stolen. And we do kind of do that with murder and adultery as well. And I'm, I'm thinking about the Matthew text and how far Jesus takes that saying you shouldn't put a price tag on these different sins. I'm thinking in particular of a case that is well known to those of us in Pittsburgh. And I think in much of the country right now, they're uh, trying and sentencing the actor in the Tree of Life synagogue shooting from a year ago. 
and trying to evaluate how bad the murder was. Was it worthy of capital punishment sentencing or, you know, we, so we do that with murder as well, right? If someone accidentally hits someone else with a car and kills them, they might get a fine for negligent driving, but it's very different. Right. We, we have legal gradations from uh, manslaughter to negligent homicide to uh, murder in the second degree and murder in the first degree, uh, which murder in the first degree is most serious. Right. And, the, and then when we get something like this, where someone storms in and kills a bunch of elderly folks who are trying to worship, we're like, whoa, that's so bad we don't even know what to do with it. So yeah, we have hate crimes enhancements, and this lets prosecutors uh, put more years on a sentence or differentiate between let, let's differentiate between a crime of passion and a crime of um, a crime of gain and a crime of just sheer awfulness. Right. Um, you know, not, not that any of them are less awful to the people who have lost a loved one, but we, we differentiate between uh, the person who is, who walks home late at, comes home late at night and finds a spouse in bed with another person and in a fit of anger shoots one or the other or both of the parties that were caught. And yes, that's awful, but on a certain level, you can understand the knee-jerk reaction. Um, for that matter, you can even understand the, uh, the killing in a drug dispute or something. It's, it's a business proposition. Yes, it's still awful. They're doing something illegal. It's, it's worse, perhaps, because something was planned in retaliation. But there's a logic to it that, while not, none of us would say that's an acceptable thing, there is a logic to it. There is a logic to those sorts of crimes. There is no logic to uh, a young white kid going into an AME church in Charleston, South Carolina, and starting to shoot. Right. Um, I'm not. I'm not weighing in on the legal question of sanity, but the idea that that by I, I mean, my understanding is that. The shooter in that case had it in his head that if he walked into this church, racked up a high body count, then he would touch off a race war in which white people would eventually overcome and eliminate black people in the United States. And that is, of course, horrible on every level. And it's also just kind of divorced from reality right it, it does not have uh it is not something that follows logic why do i say that because it did not in fact 
race war. Right. Um, you know, I, I think this was also uh, in the on the minds of the bombers in Oklahoma City 25 mm-hmm. odd years ago. Uh, it, it's it's not that they're not responsible for their actions, but there is just this this leap from here's this idea that will somehow bring us this result that that they want, which is you know horrible and front to the face of God. Um, it, it's it's not defensible on any level, and it doesn't produce the intended results. Right, and. I want to bring us back around a little bit to what the average person like does with this. Because for most people, it's easy to skim past and you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal. Okay, fine. Yes, I know those things. But um, for, for legal reasons and for our society to function, we need to have a hierarchy of those things from a justice standpoint, we have to be able to sentence people and treat people the same for different offenses, regardless of whether that actually is how it pans out or not. I would argue that's not generally how that necessarily pans out, but that's a whole other podcast. But how do we then think about this in the day-to-day and from a Christian standpoint? We need to um, divorce our theology from our, our civics here just a little bit in that while it's one thing to advocate for just systems of justice, it's another thing to have those hierarchies of sin in the way that we view other people. And what I mean by that is it's easy for us to say someone is a bad person maybe because they had an affair, but then people are quick to justify a way a sin like lust. And an example of this would be where, um, you know, women are accused of having to dress a certain way so as not to cause the man to lust. And so it's like, oh, well, if you looked at her lustfully, that's her fault, not yours. It's not an actual sin. So we try to put these in these hierarchies and Jesus turns that on its head and says, oh, hello, no, that's not actually how that works. You are just as much a sinner if you hate somebody or you're angry and you're nursing a grudge against someone, you're still just as much a sinner as if you had actually acted out in that anger. But in the criminal code, you have to have intent and action. Absolutely. There's a very big difference. Right. And here you just have intent. So you are saying that just the intent intent is an affront to god i'm not saying it jesus says it <laughs> but but are are we dealing with a, a time in which a, an instance in which jesus is speaking with hyperbole well tell me what you think i i don't know that he is or if he is he is speaking in hyperbole to remind us that we are all sinners so get yourself in order before you start judging other people. Ah, yes. That's different than having a bunch of men ripping one eye out. Oh, correct. No, he does not literally mean 
if you have looked at another person in lust, rip your eyeballs out. That is not great self-care right there. No, no, that, that would be very poor self-care. That, yeah. But, but he is l- actually saying if you are nursing a grudge against someone, that is mm-hmm. just as much a sin as murder. Fair enough. Though I do wonder if we are perhaps treading on next week's texts. I think we have to tread on next week's texts and we're treading on last week's texts and the texts before that. These are all so interwoven that you can't, you can't separate them from one another. Hmm. I think I've heard that somewhere before. Recently, in fact. That's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Like in my sermon from last Sunday. I'm curious too, and this is more of a thought experiment than actual practical theology. So bear with me. Mm-hmm. Is it stealing or murder if something we do indirectly hurts the other person? For example, we buy a product that has been made by enslaved children in a developing country or we're using up excessive resources and so there is less food for people in another place is that the same there's not the same kind of intent uh, Mm -hmm. but there is a negligence yeah it's it's i i think it's a very useful thought experiment um i i was in a bible study one time that was led by uh, a nun from Carlo University, and uh, she, she she was talking about this, and she said, "Thou shalt not steal, even a compliment." So she put it in sort of a positive light of if you have that opportunity to make someone's day brighter, and you choose not to, perhaps you have stolen a kindness from that person. And I think it is an interesting perspective because this is one of those instances in which the reality of our 21st century existence is so far removed from Palestine 2,000 years ago. Um, it, It... We have the opportunity to... Uh, pollute the environment, to um, to pour industrial waste into rivers, or to use so many detergents that all of the runoff from our farms puts excess nitrogen in the water supply, which goes into the ocean, which feeds these algae blooms off of our coasts, which ultimately kills off wildlife in the oceans and are we depriving someone else from a living are we poisoning someone else um certainly we are not doing it directly but i think wrestling with the question is really what we are called to do in the 21st century so we live in western pennsylvania this is Oh, I do. You moved a year ago. (laughs) Sorry. I live in Western Pennsylvania. 
but you know it well. You're from here. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who aren't, this is coal country. This is fracking country. This is a hotly debated environmental territory here. And I know plenty of very good people who would say that not going back to using coal or not allowing some of these other possibly questionable practices is depriving someone of their livelihood. Right. On the other hand, it could be depriving me of the productive use of my farmland in Washington County. Or it could be depriving our children or grandchildren of a healthy place to live. Mm-hmm. So that that's, you know, it, it's really our responsibility to continue to wrestle with these things. There's no built-in constituency for murder or theft. No, nobody, nobody is going to, you know, we, when you read the Ten Commandments, nobody is going to get up in the congregation and shout, Pastor, I think you're misinterpreting that commandment against theft or murder or adultery. I don't think anybody is going to do that. Though, though in private, <laughs> in private, some people might say, oh, that doesn't exactly count as adultery. Right. Or, or it was less bad adultery because it was just one time and my spouse forgave <laughs> me for it. Yeah, but yes. you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, cynicin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the levels of harm do differ from one act to another. And I think that's the that's the incongruity that we have to live into. And that's why we have to wrestle with these questions. Um, if I steal, candy bar from a convenience store or a loaf of bread from a grocery store. The harm created by that act is minimal. In fact, it's negligible if you look at what the gross revenues are of a grocery store. But uh, if you compare that to someone like Bernie Madoff swindling millions, if not billions, from people and taking people's life savings, you know, if you say that those are both theft, yes, they are. But boy, he did a lot more harm than my hypothetical candy bar or loaf of bread. Yes, some do much more direct harm to the community. I will, I will risk infringing on false witness here. Mm -hmm. But how how familiar are you with Veggie Tales? I have never seen a single episode of VeggieTales. We need to remedy that. There is this episode <laughs> called... Again, what do you mean we, Kimasabi? <laughs> we... I don't know. There is the... So there's an episode called Larry and the Fib from Outer Space. And Larry is a cucumber. And in this particular episode, one of the characters... I don't know why it mattered just now to tell you that Larry's a cucumber, but there you have it. But one of the characters... Well, cu cucumbers are notorious liars. They so. are. Um, so there's this one character who tells a little fib and doesn't think it's a big deal because what harm was actually done? 
but mm-hmm. it has this snowball effect and it continues to get bigger and bigger. And it does so literally in this episode of this silly children's show where it's like a creature that keeps growing and, and taking over. But even when something small has an effect on a community, it has an effect. And that snowballs if we're not careful. Okay. I know that our listeners can't see the video from our call, but I just want to point out that uh, that was a rather skeptical face that I was just given in response to that story that may not have tracked for everyone. What I'm saying is that it, yes, Certain things have a greater immediate impact on the community, but any anything we do that harms the community at all harms the community. And we could go into scenarios in which someone does something that could potentially harm the community, but it's because of harm the community has done to them. Yeah, the, well, again, we get back to the the basic honor culture context that if someone feels they have been harmed by the community they may feel the need to retaliate and uh i I don't know where you were going with that thread but yes you will definitely see uh i i worked retail for a long time and the owner of the office supply store where i work had worked in corporate retail for a long time and he he was a store manager and then a district manager and he got really good at finding stores other stores in which employees were stealing from the store and what he found was that most of the it was an employee who thought that he had been wronged by the company, an employee who thought that he should have gotten a promotion and didn't, and uh, decided that he was just going to put his hand in the drawer and get back some of the pay raise that he would have gotten had he been promoted from assistant manager to manager. I was even thinking about, um, so that's a case of perceived harm by the community or direct conscious, I'm going to get even with the community for this. But I'm even thinking Mm -hmm. about someone who has maybe been cornered by unjust systems. Uh, Here I go again. This is like, let me just show you all how much of a parent I am. In Aladdin, Mm -hmm. Aladdin is stealing at the very beginning of the movie, but he's not doing so because he's a malicious character. He's doing so because he's been so marginalized and so cornered that that's the only way that he can eat. Hmm. And so if we look at sin is sin and we need to look at our own place in participating in unhealthy, unjust community it has to give us a little more grace for people who are committing these things that we think, oh, I would never do that because murder and stealing are so bad. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, as an interesting coda to that, what my what my former boss said was that he had to make a split second decision when cornering these accused uh, thieves within the company. And he said that generally, if it was someone who felt they had been wronged, they wanted to be heard. And that if they were allowed to keep their job, they almost always were so contrite that they would stay, even though they didn't get the promotion that they thought they had been entitled to, and even though it would take that much more for that person to get promoted later on. Um, so somehow there was a, a level on which they wanted that reconciliation with their employer, and there was still a punishment, but it was not, you're fired and we are reporting you to the police. Yeah, and I think that's a great example of having grace and understanding for another person's situation. I've been teaching classes at the jail and mentoring women, both in the jail and immediately following their release. And one of the the biggest factors that they have to overcome when they are released is the societal baggage that they automatically have, even if they're not in jail for one of these big three, right? Most of the women I'm working with are there because of addiction. Um, and so, but they, they all get stigmatized in the same way because they've been incarcerated. And, and they've been addicts. And the shame of both of those is an incredible burden to bear. Right. And often addiction does lead to things like theft and harming another person but we need to have grace to understand where someone is coming from and what led them to that people don't just for the most part do not just wake up one day and go huh i would like to try heroin today i wonder what that's like that's not how addiction starts addiction starts when someone has been hurt or traumatized in some way and they pick up a bad coping skill Right. And one bad coping skill leads to another. Exactly. And because none of the bad coping skills are quite enough to really deal with the underlying issue. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think that what this all comes down to is grace for the people around us and a willingness to acknowledge when we have done something that if left unchecked, could lead to these sorts of behavior. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Not that necessarily lust and adultery cause the same amount of harm in the community, but if lust is left unchecked, it leads to adultery. If anger is left unchecked, it leads to murder. Um, and so I, I was drawing this week actually from Tom Wright's Matthew for Everyone, book, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'll also be using this same series uh, in our next section on, on 2 Timothy. But I love the way that he says it. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, so that section that I'm drawing from in Matthew, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, 21 and following. 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And what, what Wright says about this is that in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the commands of the law and shows how they provide a blueprint for a way of being fully, genuinely, gloriously human. This new way which Jesus had come to pioneer and make possible goes deep down into the roots of personality and produces a different pattern of behavior altogether. This is about breaking patterns. It's not about a list of rules. No, it, it's, it's again, it's about breaking the cycle of retribution. Yeah. And um, Wright goes on to talk about how reconciliation even takes precedence over worship. Jesus says, if, if you have a beef with somebody, sort that out because you cannot be in right relationship with God if you're not in right relationship with one another. But, but isn't worship in some ways an act of reconciliation? I mean, we have prayers of confession and words of assurance or assurances of pardon. Um, aren't, aren't they interrelated? They absolutely are, and those are part of our reconciliation of our relationship with God and our admission that we participate in these negative cycles in the world. But that does not take the place of making good with the people around us. Sure, but we can exchange visible signs of our reconciliation to one another by perhaps sharing that peace during worship. Yep. We surely can. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, go on back right now. Correct. Yes. And I did state that I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we're, I think you and I are sufficiently reconciled on this question. (laughs) I'm not sure that we are, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) In another part in Matthew, Jesus says to go privately to your brother or sister when they have wronged you. (laughs) And if you can't sort it out there, then go bring in somebody else. We may need a third party, folks. We'll keep Mm -hmm. you posted. (laughs) Alan, do you have any any other thoughts before I move on to our spiritual practice for the week? Um. No, I'm, I'm just looking at these other things on the outline that, that I guess you have hit. Uh, no, tell, tell us about our spiritual practice for the week. We all have somebody in our lives that we need to forgive. We are human. If there is nobody in your life you think you need to forgive, you are not looking far enough, or perhaps you're looking in the wrong places. So I am sharing this forgiveness meditation. The link is in the show notes and we promise we'll be better about getting the show notes up. We keep saying show notes and then they don't necessarily get up on time, but this week's are ready to go and should be up before the podcast is. 
And in this meditation, it is, uh, it's a focused meditation. So it's not just an empty your mind, but a rather make space for this. And it asks you to consider asking forgiveness of others. So figuring out who it is that you have harmed that you might need to ask forgiveness from. Sometimes what another person needs to release anger is simply hearing the acknowledgement of the person who hurt them that they hurt them. Sometimes we just need to go to our sister or brother and say, I was a jerk. Please forgive me. I acknowledge that I was a jerk. You might need to offer forgiveness to yourself. We do a lot of harm to ourselves. Do we ever? And I think that is often one of the, you know, the, the phrase, how could I be so stupid? Is one of those things that is, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from Jesus, is a millstone about our necks. Yeah, we say all sorts of things to ourselves that we would never say to another person. Yes, and, and that also uh, can kick off a downward spiral in which we just wallow in our own, uh, our own feelings of inferiority or our own depression or uh, just um, the mire of blech. I'm just now I have that scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where he uh, dies while he's writing on the wall. Uh, and was, ah, <laughs> ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and finally. So, and finally, yes. Finally. Forgive yourself. The, the other thing, too, is sometimes you, not that I know this personally or anything, but sometimes you carry around anger at people who are no longer with us. Uh, sometimes you're angry at uh, a relative or a friend who has passed. And that is also somebody you need to forgive and find a way to get there. And it's a challenge, not only because the person is not there to accept the forgiveness, but sometimes we hold on to the anger and the hurt because that's all that's left of the relationship. Yeah, and sometimes it's just not safe for us to go to a person who has harmed us and um, offer them forgiveness. And so we need to do that for ourselves anyway. It is, right. forgiveness is not for the other person. When, when we forgive someone else, it's not for their well-being and benefit. It is for our own because all that withholding forgiveness does is make us bitter. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Exactly. Exactly. So those are some, some things to think about as you look at this forgiveness meditation, that there is definitely someone in your life that you need to work to forgive. And that may be you or that maybe there's someone you need to offer an apology to and, and ask forgiveness from, but there's certainly this issue somewhere in your life. Without a doubt. 
Okay. And um, good. Do you, do you have the prayer? I or? do have the prayer. It, unless you had one you wanted to offer. No, I, have, I, I, I prayer. I have a prayer for incarcerated people. This is something that is near and dear to me personally because I do work with so many people in our our jail system. But I think it also matters because we spend some time talking about the legal system and, and people who are in it. And sometimes people get stuck in it because of the way they've been hurt by others. This is not always so black and white as it looks. So I wanna share this prayer. And again, there'll be a link to, to this as well as some other prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring before you the many men and women who are incarcerated behind prison bars and have been deprived of their freedoms due to many and various crimes. Father, you alone know the heart of each one and the reason why they are imprisoned, and you alone are the one that can bring these men and women to repentance and to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, you alone can convict these people of their crimes and we pray for each one knowing that you died to pay the full punishment for each of their sins and lord although it is only right that people face the consequences of their their crimes i pray that each will come to an understanding that in christ their sins are forgiven and that each one will come to true repentance by trusting in their lord jesus as their savior I pray that you would send into the various prisons and jails around our country and around the world those who would minister to these prisoners in their need and tell them of Christ and the wonderful forgiveness of sins that comes from him alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Soft Idolatry. If you have any questions about anything you heard on the podcast this week, please feel free to send us an email. Our address is info at softidolatry.com. You can also visit our website, www.softidolatry.com. And if you are feeling so bold, so convicted, so moved, as to support us financially, please go to www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash softidolatry. Thanks. God bless. I have heard that I nailed it yesterday with the sermon. Um, I'm so sorry. I was reading, I'm reading an Enneagram book right now and I just finished the section on threes. And mm. what you said there is just like solidifies your three-ness in the best possible way. <laughs> You'll have to explain that some other time. You uh, will never hear me say I nailed it. You will hear me say I'm done. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> um. Are you saying I want to take a victory lap? <laughs> yes. <laughs>